0: now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez.
1: Welcome back to The Working a Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm Elise Elise Cortez, your host, joining you from Dallas, which is my home base. By way of introduction, if you don't know me, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and the work I do at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Before we get started in today's program, we must thank our partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work that they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Check them out at WorkProud.com. With us today is Steve Rush. He's the CEO at Improv Consulting. He's a strategic thinker and futurist. He's the host of the the Leadership Hacker podcast, the author of The Leadership Cake, A Recipe for Success in in Leadership, and a renowned global expert in leadership, transformation, and communication. We'll be talking today about the unique cake recipe from his book and how it can be applied to develop our own unique and tasty brand of leadership. He joins us today from London, where it is actually, I think, Midnight
2: is that right? It's uh, 11 p.m.
1: 11 p.m. And you've had a very full day, a very good and full day. Thank you for joining us.
2: It's
1: so I'm delighted
2: to be delighted to be with you
1: and thrilled that we get to literally um, taste your recipe for leadership in this in this conversation. For those of us having a a close to a midnight snack, you're perfect. Exactly, (laughs) Um, perfect. So to get us started here, uh, I did read your book cover to cover as I'm I'm prone to do, but those of you who don't know much about you, um if we could just get you situated with our with our listeners and our viewers. Uh, I think of you as a consultant, strategic thinker, futurist author of course. But will you share a bit about your background uh, so that I'd we know it. where you're coming from and what you're pouring yourself into today?
2: Yeah, so I have a, I've come to, to learn over the last few weeks of explaining myself to a number of people that I have a career of two thirds and a third. So my first two thirds of my career, I was in uh, corporate banking and commercial banking and uh, private banking and uh, grew through the leadership hierarchy. And my, uh, my last real job, as I like to call it, before I do what I do now, because I don't really see what I do now as a real job, I was running uh, the division of a wealth management business for a, for a global bank as a, an executive vice president. So uh, lots of responsibility, multi-billion dollars of revenue, and but um, had a blast, but just got bored. So that triggered uh, a conversation with my boss at the end of my, my year appraisal that uh, ended up... Me asking for a uh, a way out and to do a bit of soul searching, and ended up in the world I'm doing now, which is the the next co- third of my my career in this chapter of my career, which is just helping people become better at what they do, uh, and that has an enormous scope. So everything from leadership development, coaching, helping people through change and transformation, whether it be a system, a process, whether it be organizational restructure, and anything and everything in that space. And, and that happened purely by accident. And me just finding out that actually... What I was really good at in my corporate world was having great conversations with people and helping them solve their problems. Uh, and it wasn't until I left my corporate world and realized that actually I could still do all of that, but I didn't have to worry about the, the corporate hang-ups that come with working in an organization. I was able to be really true to myself and, and give people real candor and honesty. Uh, and it served me well. So We're nearly 10 years later uh, and had a, a ball, worked all over the world
1: splendid. And as I was saying to you before we came on air, let's just quote Dr. Seuss, it should be, it should be like that. And we want it to be like that for a lot of people, which is why both of us do what we do. So um, I'm really happy to share with you, uh, share you on air with with, with people that are listening to this. And of course, today we want to focus on leadership And, and more and more we're seeing, especially in this pandemic, the world certainly needs leadership. But I want to understand from your vantage point, because everybody has a unique point of entry or reason for entry, why is developing leaders so important to you?
2: So it's a great question and actually I just want to just take us a step back because leadership for me isn't about a role it's a behavior and quite often, yeah, you know, I, I can often be guilty of this myself, actually, in, in giving people leadership roles. But actually, leadership is a behavior. And we see it in school playgrounds, in schoolyards. We see it in, mm-hmm. you know, churches. We see it in community centers. We see it all over the place. And actually, if we start to rethink about the role that leadership plays, it's about the fact that as the right behavior is doing the right thing in the right time and responding in the right way, doesn't really have to come with a corporate title it doesn't have to come with an age group either in my you know my son's basketball team i see leadership happening you know with 11 12 year old kids so this is about just understanding the core principles about what's doing the right thing and my experience tells me that if you do the right thing that's broadly what leadership is
1: hmm that was just yummy definitely worth listening to um, okay and i like that actually i wrote that down i want to use that as a quote when i when i shared this out with people so here you are, I'm on, it's nice to be maybe, um, maybe it's not nice for you, but I always think it's nice to be on the other side of the mic when I'm some, I'm on somebody yeah. else's show. But for me, six years in, my show has really helped me learn a ton about what I'm up to, meaning, passion, purpose, well-being, et cetera. So I'm interested to understand what you have learned about business and leadership by hosting the Leadership
2: Hacker Podcast. Sure. I, yeah, I think you and I are absolutely blessed, aren't we, with the opportunity mm-hmm. to speak with so many different people from so many different different walks of life. I think you know, I've learned so much in the last 12 months. So uh, my podcast is coming for its 12, uh, 12 month birthday. It's, it's first year birthday uh, next week and uh, you know, 55, 56 episodes in and every single week I learn. And I guess mm-hmm. the one thing that strikes me is that every guest I have on always learns too. And it's that one thing that just always strikes me that Whatever the age, whatever the experience, background, corporate experiences, et cetera, there is this real restless curiosity to want to continually learn. Uh, and that's been the real kind of theme that kind of st- strings through all of the conversations I've had. That's probably one thing. Uh, and the other thing that I've learned than anything is how much more 12 months in now, I value diversity more than I've ever done. And not just diversity in terms of ethnicity and sexual orientation, but diversity in thought and experience. And I think that's one that we often sometimes miss out in that whole diversity conversation.
1: Mm. So one of the one of the things that's interesting for me, I'll share this because I, I do I do think that well I think it's been identified by various people, not just me or even this conversation, just the importance of ongoing learning, especially in today's ever ever changing world. In the mm-hmm. moment, um, it, it's curious from my vantage point um, from my own show. If you were to look at the 320 episodes that I've hosted, um, what you would notice is the unfoldment of my consciousness. And, and so, really, the things that I'm, because I opt into, I only bring on people who can advance the conversation on creating a meaningful workplace, inspirational mm. leadership, and business that's done from a stakeholder capitalistic, um, thoughtful, conscientious vantage point. And so, the, you know, there's no reason, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have noticed you, say, five years ago, four years mm. ago, three years ago. But, so, I'm curious, do you find that your own attraction to co- um, podcast guests or, or, or even material is changing in some particular in particular fashion
2: yeah it is actually um, what I think is really quite stark is my own self development has actually become pushed to the fore, and as a result of feeding my own uh, curiosity about me and my growth and my personal growth inspires me to want to look for other people who can also not just enrich my thinking and behaviors, but if, if that will enrich mine, absolutely know it will enrich the audience that we serve. Mm-hmm. I, and, you know, there's been a number of things in the course of the last 12 months that have really pivoted the way I do things for me personally, for my business, as well as my family too.
1: Mm. And how great is that? So, you mm, know,
2: amazing, like-
1: well, and in, 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 you know, for me, what I always find amazing is when people come on my show, and, and they they hear that I actually read their book cover to cover, and it's evidenced in the questions I ask them, they're always kind of amazed by that. I'm like, why wouldn't I read your book cover to cover? Why wouldn't I do that? You put something out of the world. And I frankly want to benefit from it myself. So um, same thing with your book, which mm. brings me to my next question. So, it, well, I really appreciated just the craftiness of, of your book and, and just where, where, where it all came from. So, maybe before I get into some of the mechanics, I guess I want to start with just where the, the idea um, of where you came up with, with the analogy of a cake recipe came from, for your, from your book.
2: Sure. So, uh, it was – you picture the scene. I was kind of uh, coaching a really left-hand brain – CFO, who'd become the CEO of a private banking organization. You know, he had zero emotional intelligence, very, very highly intelligent person, understood academically that he needed to do lots of things and shift lots of behaviors, but emotionally and physically couldn't see it. And it was just really wrestling when I tried lots of, you know, psychometric testing to wave under his nose and get him to think of himself differently. And I just couldn't get that emotional shift in him. So uh, that weekend I'd flown home and uh, my wife is a very traditional uh, girl from the north of England and we were getting the uh, it was just the, the last Sunday before Advent and traditionally in the north of England. They, uh, they mix a Christmas cake. And at uh, th- that particular time, and my wife was talking to me about the Christmas cake and uh, we have to put a coin in the Christmas cake and stir it. So all the, the kids had, had taken it in turns to stir it. And that was kind of you know, going to give us good luck. And she was just talking about the ingredients that she was going to get that day. And in doing so, she was talking about, you know, if we'd got to get this right, and I've got to get that balance right. And if I don't get this, it's not going to be a cake. And clearly being the attentive husband (laughs) wasn't particularly being all ears and and, you know i would got one ear on you know i've got to go back on monday and speak to the ceo and it was just a whole epiphany almost of that's it it's about getting the ingredients in balance and i I remember i remember sitting up and saying to her leadership cake and she looked at me as if to say what are you talking about uh, I said, it's a cake, leadership cake. Just bear with me. And I dashed, dashed downstairs. I went into the office and I Googled leadership cake. And there was nothing there. And, uh, ingredients in leadership. There was a couple of articles, but nothing really that was kind of empowering. So I thought, God, there's something here. I'm going to test this when I go back on Monday. So I hopped on a plane on Monday. We got to the, his office and we were in our session together. And yeah, and I said to, to him, I said, look, I know you're going to find this a little bit challenging, but I just want you to think of yourself as a cake. And you can imagine. Oh, <laughs> that went over. Okay. It was, uh, I said, just humour me here. So do you like cakes? Yeah, I like cakes. Okay, so what about cakes do you like? Well, I like these things. He said, Steve, this has got nothing to do with me. He said, no, it's got everything to do with you. Because I want you to think about your leadership and being like a cake. If you think of, If we're going to make a cake, we're going to need some flour, we're going to need some eggs, we're going to need some water, we're going to need some sugar. If you think about those things, you haven't got any eggs, Colin. You haven't got any sugar. You just this mushy thing over here. And you went, what? (laughs) I said, and actually, you know, this is all really, really brilliant, but there's just too much of it. And what we need to do is get some of this in balance so that you are constructed like a cake. And he just sat up in his chair and he went, okay, so what ingredients do I need? Which then started the conversation, which led into me doing loads of research around what are the things that are common across great leaders. Uh, A couple of years later, um, Leadership Cake was born.
1: Mm, I love the way you write about it in the book. It's just splendid. Of course, I knew that syrup. I wanted you to share it with our listeners and our viewers. And, and I just what I appreciate that is just even how you situated, you know, left brain, right brain sort of thing, which you also, of course, address in your book as well. Super important. Um, and so from what I could understand, and let's just cover this piece, Pete, this first piece, and then we'll go into the others after sure. the break. But uh, you've got this premise, as I can understand it, of your cake model. And that's the E plus
2: R equals O.
1: Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, well, we all have a, a, a cake, uh, metaphorically. Um, and, <laughs> and in order to, to be thoughtful about our cake, the E plus R equals O is this, the, the effect of whenever we go through our leadership career, there will always be things that we are faced with. So the events, that's the E. The R is the way that we react to them. And the O is our outcome. Now, we have very little control over our Events that happen. But if we want to change the outcomes, the only thing we can change is the way that we react to them. So if I'm really thoughtful around how I respond, how I react, and in doing so, how I construct my recipe for success will be whether or not you're an effective leader or not.
1: I just think that is so incredibly crisp and clear which is why I wanted to start with that before we got into the actual ingredients per, per se part of it because it when you when you recognize and I think that's exactly it and so then now when you start to say things like emotional intelligence which of course feeds into how we react to something how we choose to react um, and then with with what regard or from what do we pull from to be able to form a reaction so crisp. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was a great way for, for us to 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 start this, this conversation. What I want to do after the break, Steve, is talk more in depth about your actual model itself, the ingredients. So let's grab our first break. Sure. I'm, I'm Elise Cortez, your host. we been on the air with Steve Rush. He's the CEO of Improve Consulting. He is also a strategic thinker and a futurist. We've been talking a bit about where his interest came from in leadership and how we went about creating an approach to addressing it. After the break, we're going to get more into the detail of the actual model itself and those ingredients. Stay with
0: us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. wanted to let you know that in response to some of the inquiries that I've been getting about how to help companies care for their employees as the pandemic continues and anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected are on the rise in the workplace, we have just launched a well-being webinar and learning series to nurture and build individuals from the inside out. If you want to know about that, reach out to me via email. That's the best way, Elise at EliseCortez.com. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Steve Rush. He's the CEO of Improve Consulting and a strategic thinker and futurist. He's the host of the Leadership Hacker podcast and the author of Leadership Cake. He joins us today from London. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So let's dive into it, Steve, if we can. Let's, if, yeah. if you can first, and by the way, it's always so useful right? when you can create some kind of an acronym that helps readers be able to grab and remember what you have. It's just stunning. I'm working on my second book trying to figure that out myself, so thank you for the model. <laughs> um, so cake, break it down, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about each one of those essential ingredients. What's cake?
2: So I came up with the idea of cake, which was as a result of the conversation we spoke about earlier. But then I sat around to do some research because,
1: you yeah, know,
2: it's all very well as creating an acronym and trying to retrofit some some stuff. But actually, I wanted to make sure that I understood from you know great leaders around the world what were the things that were common that everybody had. And actually, I came up with about five or six different things, and um, of course, it would It just happened to work out that the four things that presented themselves that were most common uh, amongst great leaders were communication, authenticity, knowledge and empathy. And it just happens to make keg. So uh, it kind of worked out quite neat.
1: Okay, well, let's let's talk about each one of them. So uh, you yeah. know, and I I really want want to emphasize this. This is so important because I work with a a spectrum of people between, of course, introversion and extroversion. and and so you talk about obviously the C is for communication in yeah. the cake. And so, so, so critically important. And even last week on the show, Steve, I was on with Robert White and who also emphasized that, that as being one of three critical factors that that impact our performance. And I don't care mm. if, you know, it comes naturally or not. you got to be good at it. Yeah. So bring us into the fold. Talk to us about communication.
2: So communication is absolutely essential in every single walk of life if we're if we're able to adapt the way that we communicate to anybody and every situation we're going to be more effective leaders so whether it be you're talking to a brand new hire or a graduate employee or another ceo of another organization or a lady down the road or a gentleman in the village wherever you are if you're able to adapt to those individuals, styles, tones, commonalities, we're able to become more like them. And right back through the the centuries and the generations, we all have that natural innate association to want to be like people like us. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the more you're able to adapt your communication style, people will understand you. And the big thing, of course, with communication is it has to be absolutely two-way. Most organizations, most leaders often, have a perception that they've communicated where actually they've probably just cascaded, they've sent information, they've you know, um, done a broadcast, they've been on a podcast. That's not communicating unless you've got some response in relation to what you've sent out. Uh, and therefore how you close that loop is equally as an essential part of that communication strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I was thinking about as you were saying that, Steve, is um, one of one of the many ways that I could be described as I I've, I've read energy according to Luminous Sparks. So in other words, very high uh, energy. I speak fast. I walk fast. You know, I, I think you know I like to get things done. I'm all about achieving results, etc. And what I know, listeners and viewers, is that when I come in, and it's very easy to uh, ascertain someone's someone else's energy or their color by watching how they move and even the first hearing the first few sentences from their mouth. If I'm coming in and the, the technical audiences that I'm working with, engineers, scientists, IT people, a lot of them have more bluer energy. So they mm-hmm. want the information, they don't want the rapid fire. So I literally, I wanna come in hot. Yeah. <laughs> and so what they, of what they, where I can connect with them better is when I dial that energy down, I bring my tone down I bring my energy to a, a closer to their level. And I'm really thoughtful about what it is that I say and choiceful in my words economical in my words and now i have a better way to be able to communicate so steve that's the way i would interpret what yeah. you just said about changing how we how we communicate
2: it's a really great point because there are loads of tools that help us do that so uh, whatever jungian style of uh, assessment you take or you like you're just understanding how you're naturally going to communicate is really helpful and how others respond to that. So how you can use different tools and and, and activities. And of course, most of our communication is nonverbal. And, you, you know, that's really important in the world that we're in now where we're, We're much more virtual than we've ever been before. And how do you tap into that nonverbal communication? Scientists have told us it's about 55%. Well, most recent studies suggest it could be as much as 75% Mm -hmm. of -hmm. our communication is nonverbal. And therefore, it's not just about what we say and what we do. It's how we use other things to help us communicate.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think I may have even seen a stat that our actual words used might even account, might even only account for like 7% of the yes, something right. crazy like that. Maybe that's mm. what was in your book. I can't remember. But yeah. um, now what's important to, to, to say next then, I think, since people hearing what I just said about how I change the way that I talk with other people does not mean that I'm being inauthentic. It means that I'm flexing myself so that I can connect with that person meaningfully. So your mm. second ingredient is A for authenticity. Talk about yeah. that one.
2: So authenticity is a little bit overplayed, you know, when I wrote the book about five years ago, this was kind of still relatively upbeat and on the agenda. And, you know, it's been overplayed because people have a perception now that Mm -hmm. I I can just be authentic. Well, no, you, you, that's not your choice. Unfortunately, you can attempt to be authentic, but you'll only know that by how people respond and react to you because all authenticity is, is just being who you really are. And it's not putting on a guise. It's not trying to mimic somebody else. It's not trying to use other language that you've heard from other people. It's just taking the best of everybody but molding it so that it's actually physically manifested by you and it feels like you. And we have a little uh, trigger in our brain that helps us spot inauthentic behavior. And that's a little shift in dopamine in our brain. Mm -hmm. And typically what happens of course, is we think we're being authentic, but you know, when somebody is telling you they're authentic, that's probably not a good sign in the first place. (laughs) And I just want to be really authentic. It is probably not a good line to start with. (laughs) Um, But equally, when we feel that gut feel, it isn't anything to do with our gut, ironically. It's to do with the shift in dopamine. It's the reward chemical that makes us just pay attention to what's happening. And in doing so, when that little shift in dopamine takes place, we should notice that because it's telling us that two things could be happening. Either what that person is telling us is perhaps not authentic, or it could be a bias that we have. And it's about one in five chance of it being a complete bias. But we then just need to test that. But being authentic is just, if you you have to have a, a work hat and a home hat, that's never gonna work. This is about just you being that consistent you
1: hmm. And what I was thinking of as you're talking about that, Steve, is, is this is where people can start to expect they know what they're going to get with with you because you are you're you're dependable, you're reliable in who you are. They know they know who you are and what your brand is, if you will. So um, the other thing that you talk about in, in authenticity that we have to talk about because it smacks right up my alley and, you know, I can't get past this, but I'm, I'm going to quote this from your book and then have you comment on it. Uh, You say, of the leaders that I have worked with, the ones who have the ability and desire to be inspired themselves also demonstrate the same desire to inspire others. Without fail, leaders who inspire others demonstrate a passion and love for whatever it is they do. Inspirational people always display high energy, and it's that energy that captures our attention. Yes, yes, and yes. That's what my book is all about. So yes, say more, please.
2: Yeah, it's just infectious, isn't it? Yes. You you, you know that when you're in the presence of somebody who is – genuinely there because they want to support you and they genuinely have a very low agenda for themselves, that's just really empowering. And what happens as a result of that is the person who's empowered to create that environment feels even more empowered because other people are responding and reacting in a positive way. And it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of of energy, as I call it, because Mm -hmm. it just creates great Mm -hmm. results in that way.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll add to that and see what you think about this. I, I have increasingly, in my own studies, Steve. I continue to study logotherapy. I find myself, of course, studying more deeply in meaning and purpose. And what what I what you what you can't get away from in those studies is is, is the ongoing in development of consciousness. Mm. Um, and when you start looking down that path, what happens is you start to notice that everybody that is in that path really talks about one word all the time, and it's that word you just said, energy. So I really yeah. come come to believe that everything is energy and that we as human beings and everything else traffic on some level or decibel of of energy or vibration if you will and so the the higher that we vibrate the higher that we work the more that we can we tend to be pulling others up and being being interested in being pulled by others above us your thoughts reactions
2: yeah so i think somebody called it the law of attraction actually i think it's just the law of energy and mm-hmm. if you give out good energy, what happens is other people, they find that and they they feel that and they feel that energy in you. Um, mm-hmm. But it starts with you, doesn't it, I think?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And and so, of course, the work that I do around about nurturing meaning and purpose. So meaning is really just an energy engine. That's what it is. So that, that's mm-hmm. why I start with that as a basis. Yeah. So third ingredient in your in your model, uh, K for knowledge. Talk to us about knowledge.
2: Yeah, so this is a really interesting one. So when I started doing some research, there are so many great leaders who possess great knowledge but can't lead. Mm. And the reason they can't lead is because this ingredient seems to be overplayed in their cake. And you know, you know, it could be technical specialists or you know, have worked through the hierarchy of the organization and become the font of all knowledge. And what I found through my research is that most organizations where they have very technically gifted, very, very technically gifted leaders tend not to have as an effective and an organized workforce. Whereas where they had less academically educated entrepreneurs leading those businesses what you then saw was a very different energy in the workforce Mm -hmm. Uh, so it it led me on this path to just discover what was really going on and what I found that knowledge is only power if you share that all the way through all of your organization and there is this this old adage that knowledge is power and I just don't buy it anymore (laughs) through my experience and my uh, conversations and my my work what I found is that Knowledge can only be powerful if it's disseminated through the organization, if it's shared and communicated as quickly as it possibly can so that everybody gets to grow and learn as, as everybody should.
1: That was beautifully articulated. articulated. The other thing that I think I remember you saying too about knowledge, and tell me if I'm if I dreamt this or got it someplace else. But I think you also said something about it's important for leaders to be able to know enough about the general space of the people that they're working with, so that they can appreciate the work that they're actually doing.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's a danger, isn't there, becoming too knowledgeable? And I know that Mm -hmm. sounds a bit. Uh, almost an oxymoron and a little bit cliche, but if you knew too much about the business that you were leading, then two things are happening. One, you're not being curious enough to find new things you don't know about. And secondly, what happens is unconsciously you stop asking those curious questions Mm -hmm. because you know the answers. And therefore, it's how you create the space to keep evolving and keep growing so that knowledge becomes that, that continuum and that growth that you have that allows you to keep fresh and keep asking the, the right questions at the right times.
1: Mm, we are two peas in a pod. I am constantly talking with my with my clients about the importance of cultivating curiosity and employing curiosity because you know, there's always that concern. Well, what if people think I don't know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I should know. I'm the I'm the leader. Well, why would you be expected to know everything? Yeah, why can't exactly. you come in with you know smelling of curiosity or smelling with curiosity and lead with that? And so I see it's something very similar. So that's right. Right. All right. So the last, uh, the last part of the cake here in, in, in terms of its foundation anyway is E for empathy.
2: Yeah. So it's a kind of well-trodden this, isn't it? But still people get it wrong. And, and this is about really just being in the service of the people that you work for and understanding from many perspectives how it really feels like what it really looks like, how it really experience things. And I, I use this as a the kind of egg metaphor in my cake. It's the one that binds the others together mm-hmm. because without you truly, really understanding what it is like for the people that work with you, then you, you're, you're likely to make uh, a, a poorly, de- poorly informed decisions and you're likely to not make them the most effective decisions and conversations. So it's a, for me, it's, it's the one that binds everything together.
1: You just reminded me of just, and this will speak to uh, the how it is that we, we react to events or people or, or situations. Uh, and this is probably my least favorite phrase that's probably ever been uttered in the world. Well, the fact of the matter is... <laughs> What is the fact of the matter um, usually almost uttered in some kind of a disagreement um, mm. and it, it, it's their fighting words and yeah. um, they really are they just they ignite the the ire so those of you listening if you have this in your life or this is a go-to phrase for you for you I'd really encourage you to, to revisit that um, yeah so this notion of empathy and of course as you use the other phrase before emotional intelligence so 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 important and really boundless in you in our ability to cultivate that in our lives and mm.
0: our work
2: yeah and it's easy to say, isn't it, that I need to be more empathetic but you don't see many courses on empathy. Uh, you don't see, this is a learned behavior, by the way, that we all have to learn. You, very few people are naturally empathetic. And we you know, have those colored energies that you talked about that we're coded in a certain way through our belief systems and the values and our upbringings and our experiences. And some of them drive us toward empathy and some of them drive us away from empathy. But it's just mm-hmm. noticing where you are at one point in time and recognizing that without empathy, you're going to be less effective
1: beautifully said and a great way to take us into our last break i'm dr elise cortez your host we've been in the air with steve rush who's the ceo at Improve consulting he's also a strategic thinker and a futurist we've been talking about the chief ingredients of his cake model after the break we're going to talk about how to really employ those to create your own leadership taste and be memorable stay with us we'll be right back
0: Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose inspired leadership and meaning infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at elisecortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I wanted to let you know, if you didn't know this, I am a new mother to a new being. I had a, a baby in a pandemic. It's not what you think, though. Uh, it's a book. It's it's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Unleash Passion and Elevate Cause. And I really wrote it to awaken passion and purpose in readers and help them become and transform into inspiring leaders that create the workplaces where people, where people can actually thrive. So that is my baby. I would love for you to read it. I'd love your feedback about it as well. It's on Amazon. If you're just joining us, my guest is Steve Rush. He is the CEO of Improve Consulting. He joined us from London today where it's almost now midnight, so I applaud him for still staying up with us. Uh, he's also the the host of the Leadership Hacker podcast and the author of the book called Leadership Cake. I'm your host, Dr. Lise Cortez. Okay, so let's get into this next piece that I I really find, I'm I'm sorry, there's no other better way to say it, and this is my word that people (laughs) know me for, yummy, right? I love the idea of of developing the taste of your cake. You know, those, Mm. what is it, chocolate? Is it strawberry? Cherry is my favorite, by the way. So talk to us about this idea of developing the taste of your cake.
2: So we talked about the essential ingredients, which are communication, authenticity, knowledge, and empathy, but they're not the only ingredients. You know, you end up with a good sponge at the end of that. And then of course, <laughs> you need to adjust your cake according to taste. And metaphorically, what that really means is that depending on your environment, depending on the people you work with, you're going to need a spoonful of extra ingredients here and there. And that will range from anything from humility and integrity, and you can spludge a few other things together. That, but you will only know based on how people consume your cake. So I use the kind of metaphor that if you had a big, thick whipped cream filling, that's kind of your personal development. So the thicker and creamier your whipped cream filling is, the more likely people are gonna consume your cake because in doing so, you're gonna share it in your knowledge, in your development, and your learning with those people. and. If you think about when we enter a bake store, we look with our eyes, don't we? And when we go in to choose, you know, w- you know, what's the flavor of the month, if we chose a cake that had, you know, the tiniest thin le- layer of butter or maybe no jelly in there, but we've got this one next to it that is pumped full of cream, our eyes are going to be drawn to it because it tells us that there's something more in there. And that's the whole premise of, you know, if you're going to, be an effective lead. It just doesn't stop when you bake your sponge cake, but you've got to then start thinking about adding in different ingredients and modifying your recipe over time to the audience you work with.
1: I love that. And, and, you know, I, I also think what's interesting about that, and I'm not sure if, if I want you, to, well, I do want you to distinguish how that is different from the icing on the cake and then I'll, mm. and then I'll weigh in and go for it.
2: So the icing on a cake is, again, if we look about for our eyes, well, I, this is the kind of metaphor from what well, I distill down to being brand or your leadership brand mm. in exactly the same way. You can look into a cake store, you can see a beautifully well-iced cake and it looks amazing. You get it home, you cut into it, and there's – this gooey mess in there. So you can have, you know, the great suits, you can have the great watches, you can have the great, you know, collateral that makes you look like a leader. But if your essential ingredients in your whipped cream fillings, not there, it's going to taste pretty yucky. Conversely, there's people who are really missing the point here around how they can promote their own self-worth in their leadership careers and in their personal careers by making sure that their icing is congruent with what they've built. So all these wonderful, yummy fillings are all present, but just nobody gets to see it or experience it. And therefore, it's how we can you know, market ourselves and present ourselves and how we can grow so that we become more appealing to other people.
1: Well, and then that gets us to what I think is just delightful about your, 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 your metaphor just carries so beautifully, and the notion of the taste that we actually leave in, 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 in the mouths of the people that we lead, which, of course, I think you refer to as legacy. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about that notion of this, this taste that we leave behind.
2: So it's a, a really interesting. When we look back over our careers, there will be people that we've worked with who we would be able to recall in an instant who were just great leaders We'll know how it made us feel and the the warmth and the joy it felt to work with those people. And that's legacy. But equally, we'll have some memories, I'm sure, that throughout our careers of people who we just want to avoid, who don't share the same values and who would have maybe left a really bitter taste in our mouth. And that's what I can refer to as what Leadership Cake's legacy is. Is around if your cake is has the essential ingredients it's well constructed you've added to it and adopted it over time you you know what you say you do and what you say and do looks exactly what it should do you're going to leave a great legacy behind conversely if it's a bit gooey and muggy then you'll also leave a legacy but it won't be the one that you're anticipating it'll be the one that you look back over in time and say i'm to avoid that leader
1: Mm. I think that is so accessible, Steve. Again, what I really appreciate about your work is, in, is that it's so accessible. In fact, if I, I know it's been translated into many different languages. How many different languages?
2: So it's in Ch- Japan, China, um, Korea.
1: That is splendid. I mean, again, that just says something about what you've done in the world. And I really applaud that. And there's something about being able to make it accessible like that. So to me, when you I've never thought about the idea of what taste am I leaving it in someone's mouth, I always think about the energy piece. But if I'm going to go taste, I'm going dark chocolate, deep, (laughs) memorable, intense, and inspiring. That's my that's that's going to be the taste that I want to leave behind.
2: And we actually even use that metaphor unconsciously, don't we? That they've left a bitter taste in our mouth. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that kind of whole premise, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just think it's just divine. And and to your point, you know, there are people that we can all conjure in our minds that are are really not not maybe not effective leaders, or they certainly have left a a. a a, a negative taste in in our mouth. And so one of the things that you write in your book and I completely agree with is you you remind us that it's important to remember that we can learn a lot from totally. poor leaders and their ineffective approaches as long yeah. as we as as we process that experience by asking ourselves what did I learn from that experience?
2: Definitely, so. Yeah. I think, and in, in, even more so in those moments where we are In that moment, probably feeling pretty terrible about the experience, it's again that E plus R equals O. It's how we react to the event that gives us a really positive learning outcome.
1: Hmm, And I, I definitely want to revisit the, a conversation that smacks right to this that I had a few weeks ago with Tim Spice Spicer. Uh, I asked him why he was so riveted on this notion of followership with, with within the leadership vein. And he got so beautifully thoughtful and, and contemplative. And he just went to a spot in his life. And he said, you know, I remember when I worked for an awful leader. And let me tell you how I know this person was an awful leader, because I would come home and I would then understand unload on my wife for 2 hours every night about my experience and how bad it was and this poor woman sat there and listened to this and supported me through all this but this went on for more than a year and it was caustic and negative and awful and i think about all of those hours that we wasted dealing with the you know the shrapnel of this leader and, and so he said that's why I really started in, in down the path of creating great leaders because I wanted I wanted them to I wanted to avoid that problem happening anywhere in our communities isn't that beautiful
2: yeah. it's, that's it's lovely great words yeah. yeah
1: yeah and so so you know I when I in my research I've done a lot of work around meaning and work and identity and of course around the leadership as well and one of the the things that I came up with as really that showed up large in my research is what I come to call the anti-role model yeah right so this is thank you for showing me exactly what i don't want to be got it writ large beautiful example i'm going the other direction right they can be as you say in your book so just as important as someone who shows us the actual way
2: Mm. and the reason that happens of course is that it leaves a a quite an emotive feeling to us that sometimes it's harder to recall the good times it's, it's sometimes easy to recall the bad times because it's left that emotional negative connection with us. And it's how you reframe that negative experience being a positive learning that'll make the difference
1: yeah yeah and the other thing that i've really come to steve and this will speak to the e in your cake is is just really recognizing and this is i would offer this to all of you listening and watching is you know we're all on this journey at, at our own pace we're all trying to learn and become the best versions of ourselves and we are we are absolutely going to get it wrong some of the time and so being able to practice a a, a little mm-hmm. humility in this and certainly recognizing that others do make mistakes and certainly leaders do as well and and the other thing that i would absolutely say is you know lead also need feedback. And, and right. so, helping them understand just how they're showing up to us can be extremely useful. They may not recognize, like I oftentimes don't recognize that I come in the room blowing people's hair back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, Cortez, could you just kind of tone it down just a little bit? But yeah. that's just my energy. I love that. So, yeah. it, it's just so important that we recognize that we can help our leaders become better versions of themselves too through the feedback we give them.
2: I think that's a really great words. And what I've come to notice too, Elise, is that Most people don't turn up to screw up. They genuinely turn up to genuinely, with their best intentions, do the best they can. Very few people, in my experience, turn up to, to really be, you know, caustic or get in the way. But by default or just lack of awareness or lack of preparation and thought, they do screw up and it's important that as part of that leadership responsibility that doesn't come with role or title that we we let them understand the impact that they're having to us and the people around us so that they can change
1: well, and this is why I think you and I both do the, the work that we do. We all, we, everybody needs help and we all can benefit from having the mirror put up in front of us in terms mm-hmm. of how we're behaving and, and what is our, what is our, what is our mindset that's governing us that we don't really understand? It's not conscious, but it's, it's governing us. This is why it's so important to be able to be stewarded in, on, on the journey of growth. Mm-hmm. And of course, why I know I love doing the work. There's nothing better than watching the molecules of someone change right in front of my eyes as they get an yeah. aha or learn something, right? Exactly right. So here we are, close to the end of the show already, Steve. So I want, I'd love for for you to weigh in. What what kind of leadership does the world need today? Do you think? Here we are, a year in the pandemic. What's yeah? What do so we need?
2: It's it's really really interesting when you you ask that question because I'm not sure we know yet, mm-hmm. and the reason I'm not sure we know yet is because I don't think we know what the future looks like, and therefore. The leadership we need needs to be thoughtful, and it needs to be current, and that's all it needs to be right now. And if you are in the moment and you're leading in the now, then you don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future. And what happens is we get distracted sometimes by by having this great strategy of 2028 and, you know, I need to do strategic thinking. Well, yeah, sure, we need to have a lens that gives us that awareness, but now is where you need to be present because now is where people need you.
1: Hmm. And I w- let me echo that. That is just beautiful, Steve. What a great way to, to answer that question. The other thing is what I would say is, and this still is happening in some of the companies that I'm working for, Is I'm hearing from some of the people that they, they don't, they, they can't find their leader. Where's my, I don't know where my leader is. So being visible, being able, because yeah. I, it certainly is difficult, very difficult to probably the most difficult time to, to be a leader today and the most profound contribution to be so yeah, as well. Yeah. So, um, your your final thoughts here steve knowing that this show is listened to by people across the globe and it really Mm. is designed to be able to help um generate and, and 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 advance the conversation on creating workplaces where people can thrive and leaders that inspire them to do their best and do their business at the highest level what would you like to leave them with today
2: so my kind of final thoughts and reflections are that you know there's never been a better time to learn about you And for you to be fit and physically fit, mentally fit, so that when you show up, the people who consume your leadership do so knowing that it's coming from a great place. And I come to that conclusion because this last 12 months, you know, for for me personally in our business, it's been really tough. We've had to really pivot as many, many businesses have done. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to learn more in the last 12 months is that kind of self-love, self-attention, is where it starts and therefore before you set out on your conquering the world journey you need to conquer you and that starts with having really good morning routines good sleep routines and being physically and mentally fit in doing so when you show up you're much more likely to be able to conquer whatever your company and your team throw at you
1: mm, beautiful way to finish Steve, and i completely agree with that i'm so grateful that we found each other thanks for being on the, the yeah, Working program yeah and remember like pleasure. i said um, my friend, uh, Sherry Ella Erie, is moving to to London and I will come and visit her and then I'm going to come knock on your door. Yeah, so, do that. so, and we are eating. So thank you for that. Um, listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Steve Rush, his leadership cake book, um, his leadership hacker podcast, or any of the work that he and his team are doing, best way to start is his website. It's improveconsulting.com. Let me spell that for you. It's I-M-P-R-O-O-V consulting.com. No E after the B. And thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback. And thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch via V-recorded podcast. We were on the air with Robert White, who has devoted half a century of his life, helping 1.3 million people transform their lives. Incredibly empowering conversation we had. Next week, we'll be on the air with Bia Bocolandro talking about her book, Do Good Work at Work how simple acts of social purpose drive success and well-being. See you there. Remember, that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.